0: and that's what climate change is about it is literally not figuratively a clear and present danger
1: we are in the beginning of a mass extinction
2: the ability of co2 to do the heavy work of creating a climate
3: catastrophe is almost nil at this point the
0: price of oil has been artificially elevated to the point of insanity that's
3: not how you power A modern industrial system.
0: The ultimate goal of this renewable energy, you know, plan
3: is to reach the exact same point that we're at now. You know who's tried that? Germany. Seven straight days of no wind for Germany. Uh, Their factories are shutting down. They really do act like weather didn't happen prior to, like, 1910. Today is Friday.
0: That's right, Greta, you little climate alarmist munchkin. It's Friday, and it's time for Climate Change Roundtable, episode number 84 in a series. I'm Anthony Watts, Senior Fellow for Environment and Climate at the Heartland Institute. I'm your host. <laughs> uh, the topics today are the so-called hottest summer ever. The media gone, has gone berserkers on that, Now, but when you look at the data, Yeah, it says something else entirely. And the other big item we've got this week is Dr. Michael Mann's court appearance. Yes, after a decade of trying to avoid actually showing his face in a courtroom, he got dragged into court this past Monday. Mark Moreno was there to give a firsthand account, and he will be joining us to talk about that. Uh, We also have on our panel Dr. Sterling Burnett. Uh, the director of Heartland's uh, Robinson Center on Climate and Environmental Policy, and Jim Lakely, vice president of communications at the Heartland Institute. Linnea Lucan is taking some well-deserved time off. So welcome, everybody. Let's kick off the shows we usually do and jump right into some of the crazy climate news of the week. Now, this this takes the cake for crazy, this first one. Imagine this. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie the, the Blues Brothers, but there's this nun in The Blues Brothers called the Penguin. Well, this lady here, this nun, makes her look like a lightweight. Look at this. This is There's this video of this nun tackling an environmental protester. The, the environmental protesters are out there to keep uh, a Catholic building from being built. They're, they're bashing up construction materials, and this nun says, uh-uh, how about that?
3: Uh, you got all these shows with warrior nuns on Netflix and, uh, and 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 Amazon, and and it turns out they're not fictional characters. They're they're out there protecting the Catholic Church from uh, environmental extremists that say you can't build here, even though it's your property. Uh, we've decided some species uh, should get in the way, and they thought they were just going to take it. And see, they're, they're they're smashing private property. They should be arrested. Uh, should be thrown in the clink. Uh, but but the nun at least protected some of it. And the funny thing is, the, the Karen that got tackled, he's he was surprised. Oh, oh, I can't believe she did that. I was just being peaceful. Jeez.
2: Yeah, I I did a post on this at heartland.org, and uh, you know, I don't know if she has any uh, NCAA eligibility left, but she make a pretty good linebacker for Notre Dame, or maybe just on the coaching staff. And you know, the Bears defense is so bad she could probably get a tryout for the Bears, too. That's for you, Andy. But- <laughs> Uh, yeah, there, actually, one of the things that's remarkable about this is that the, uh, the guy, maybe it's the guy she tackled, uh, you know, was just shocked that, um, Sorry, that, that, that nuns would, would be so violent. In fact, he said, I didn't expect that. I expected the nuns to be a little reasonable for the public order. The problem is <laughs> that the religious people decided to resort to violence. You know, these environmental nut jobs have never shown any respect for the public, the so-called public order you know they'll disrupt your life they will stop traffic they will spike trees they will do all sorts of things to disrupt the public order but in one instance where you know and, and you don't want to uh, tick off a nun you know anyone who's been to catholic school um if you drop a pencil off your desk you're going to get a rap across the knuckles um you know <laughs> sister dolorita in in my old uh, uh my old catholic school when i was very young in new york city um Probably would have decapitated this guy with a ruler instead of trying to tackle him. So now I've got
0: a National Weather Service ruler here I can use for wrapping your knuckles. If any of you guys get out of line, yeah.
2: So anyway, that that that, that story just tickled me this week. I don't think we'll, we'll see a video that's more that's more uh, enjoyable than that one.
3: Yeah. All right. You know. well, it's funny when they, when they're destroying things, they call it peaceful.
0: Yes. Uh, uh, and, peaceful and, and, destruction and, of property.
3: And, and and the Catholic Church has been many things in the past. They don't believe in the death penalty now. They they, they, they you know they say we got to stop war, even though they got they got their whole theory of just war. But I don't know the Catholic Church has ever s- just stood by and said, yeah, it's okay to destroy our church. It's yeah. okay to 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 not let us build uh, on our own property church. You know, uh, uh, a new building. We're just going to stand by and let that happen. Yeah. Mark, yeah.
0: you've been on the receiving end of some environmental nutism. What do you have to think about it?
1: Well, I like say One of the things uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is this was over an endangered plant. That's why the protesters were there. It's uh, It says here the Rosetta of the Jackfruit by the French Biodiversity Office. And it's some kind of endangered species. Uh, plant species and that's why these protesters have been destroying the construction sites stopping all the equipment and this is what so outraged the nuns it's some kind of holy center where people are going to make pilgrimages to this site
3: well it, they say it's over an endangered plant but first yeah. off i'm not convinced the endangered plant actually exists there and yeah. just like every other industrialized nation france actually has laws that protects endangered plants so if it was there Probably the government would have stepped in before. Now they wouldn't have needed protesters. In the end, it was an excuse to stop construction of something that some environmentalists didn't want.
1: Yeah, and that nun—I mean, that was an amazing thing to watch. You're right; I remember that from the Blues Brothers as well, Anthony. Uh, But to see her tackle them—they are just absolutely had it. They speak for all the car. The people stuck in traffic, these nuns speak when the people, when the (laughs) the climate emergency protesters shut down the traffic in the interstates or they shut down football games uh, when they do all their antics or go into art museums. Just remember, most of these people are all funded by billionaires and millionaires with connections to Hollywood and foundations. So this is what our ruling class elites actually want. They want these projects shut down. They want all the, the paintings splattered. They want all this disruption because they, uh, you know, this is part of their strategy.
3: Because nobody's listening to them. Because people have tuned yeah. them out by now. You know, the thing is, looking at it, that lady is is punching way above her weight. I I, I bet I bet he has six or eight inches and and fifty pounds on her, maybe more. It's-
2: that was impressive for man. It was like, take him right to the ground. I mean, that was that was good, you know, and, and I think she actually you see the whole video. I think she gives him a couple rabbit punches to the chest, too, when they're on the ground. <laughs> together. So,
1: do not mess with the nuns, man. Do not mess with the nuns. It's true passion. She, she that was driven by her anger, passion, and just she went after him. She wasn't. You know, I doubt she even premeditated that. So that's what happens. That, yeah. You know, And
3: since she's a nun, we can say righteous passion. Righteous anger, right? right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, boy. You know, it's just really encouraging. All right. Now, here's someone who thinks she's second to none. Greta Thunberg. Yes. And guess what? She put up a tweet today that says, I stand with Gaza. Well, actually, this tweet here is the one that she sent afterwards, because the first one she put up had this. Now, I don't know if you can see it or not. But there's a picture there, and that picture, just uh, to the right of Greta, our right anyway, uh, you can see this little octopus. There it is, that little octopus right there. Well, apparently that is a huge, huge anti-Semitic thing. It goes back all the way to World War II. Here's a cartoon from the Holocaust Encyclopedia, a reference website on this stuff, showing, you know, the supposed Jewish, um, uh, um, you know, control of the world—an octopus with tentacles. And it's part of the anti-Jewish propaganda that came out of the Nazis and and other things. And so let's go back to that picture where she's got the octopus. Now, do you think it was an accident that somehow this little octopus just happened to be there? Well, greatest would like you to believe so. She put up a tweet that says, basically, it's come to my knowledge that the stuffed animal shown in my earlier post can be interpreted for a symbol for anti-Semitism, which I was completely unaware of. The toy in the picture is a tool often used by autistic people as a way to communicate feelings. We are, of course, against any discrimination and condemn anti-Semitism in all forms and shapes. This is non-negotiable. This is why I deleted the last post. Well, I'm sorry. I did a search on using octopus toys for autistic children's training, and I came up zilch. I think she's basically in, uh, engaging in CYA because she got really she got flamed over this. Guys, what do you think?
3: Well, you know, I I saw someone say earlier, oh well, she's going to get blasted for this. Her she'll lose allies. It's like no, she won't lose allies. Most of these people, these liberals, these progressives, they're they've been pro Palestinians, pro Palestinian state anti-israel for decades they side with terrorists every time terrorists strike they call them freedom fighters hamas is a freedom fighter not a terrorist organization which they're declared a terrorist organization by every not just the u.s the u.n declares them a terrorist organization but they support hamas they support hezbollah so she's not going to lose any followers on this uh because they agree with her they're anti-semites too
2: yeah. Can you can you imagine the? we should calculate the carbon footprint of sending 5,000 rockets
1: toward Israel? Maybe that would get her concerned. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know why Greta feels like she has to get involved in every single cause, no matter what it is. She's always got to put her little two cents in now. It's all this virtue signaling for whatever her cause is. Uh, I don't know. She's now, what, 22, 20, at least 21, I think. Uh, I just don't know where her future is going to be. Is she going to continue to be the spokesman? She fell out of favor with the UN. I don't know if you guys are aware, but she was replaced by the United Nations by Sophie Kanani, who's like a 19 year old uh, teenager who who uh, gives now addresses the UN General Assembly at the climate summit. So Greta is now left outside. And here's where we can agree with Greta. She, she, den- she denounces the UN at the last summit I was at in Poland and the one before that. In Scotland, as being a complete uh, virtue signaling summit that would do nothing about the climate emergency. So she actually gets that the UN is all corrupt and just all talk. But she's aligned herself with people like George Monbiot, who wants to end all industrial farming and, uh, you know, shut down all agriculture, massively reduce population. So she's way out there in this octopus incident. And I'm like, uh, Anthony, I never even heard of the octopus being anti-Semitic, but it's just another example of she's overreaching, looking for any reason to be relevant in today's news cycle. Yeah. How dare you?
2: So are you telling me, Mark Morano, that the United Nations has broken up with Greta and got themselves a hot new climate girlfriend? Yeah, so I mean, what?
1: I think sometimes I've seen it referred. I'm not calling it this, but she's called Hot Greta. Her name is Sophie Kanani, And she wears outfits that are, very uh you know i would say more clean to, to going out clubbing than it would be but she's there with john Kerry, she's there with the secretary gutierrez and everyone else and she's addressing the general assembly she's getting their un brain. envoy now and she's totally replaced greta as the voice of the youth inside these summits
3: getting her hair sniffed by the president in her <laughs> rainbow colored clothing
0: all righty well enough of greta <laughs> go away <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the final topic is we have half of electric vehicle owners will go back to an internal combustion engine vehicle. Yeah, yeah. apparently buyers remorse you've owned an electric vehicle long enough and you realize it just isn't practical. What a revelation. <laughs> it might it
3: it might help them since it's not I'm not convinced that all the electric vehicles that have been promised will be built. Ford Fords now saying hold it uh, this isn't yep. working out for us. Uh, I'm just, you're not going to get the Tesla's to come down enough in price for it to matter to your average American, much less in all those inner city neighborhoods where they want to build all the, uh, the charging stations. There's no, there's no Tesla's there, but that's where we're going to put the charging stations because that's equity. That's equity. Uh Um, it's, uh, it's not surprising at all.
0: No, it's not because, and I I will say this, I have owned three electric vehicles in my lifetime. I was an early adopter. This was way back in the era around 2005 to 2008. And, you know, I thought it was great at the time, but the bottom line is, is that they were problematic. They were uh, difficult to keep charged they were not doing well in cold weather. I mean, all kinds of different associated problems with them. And I couldn't run the heater in cold weather. I had to make a choice. So, you know, i just gave up on it. So I'm just like the rest of those guys.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I know people who own Teslas. They love them. Tesla, obviously Elon Musk makes a, you know, it's a premium high quality vehicle if you want an electric vehicle. Um, And I I imagine most of the people have Teslas. And that's excluded from this story is like an you know, Tesla owners probably would want another one. Every half the other people that get them don't. You know, I don't see a lot of people that like, man, I cannot wait until I get the 2025 Nissan Leaf. Nobody thinks that <laughs> way. Nobody That's
1: a good they point. Want
3: the new yeah. Tesla. <laughs> I'll, I'll
1: tell you the only The only Tesla owners that regret it are the liberals who are mad that Elon Musk has promoted free speech on Twitter. There's a lot of those people. There's a whole movement of people returning in their uh, Teslas and not wanting to buy them only for that reason, not because they're unhappy with the car.
3: But I I suspect that they're not buying Rivians, Chevy Bolts or anything else. They are also getting Internal uh, or, well, well, what how loving,
0: about those electric trucks that Ford has been making that they're deciding, oh, well, we can't yeah. produce them anymore because people don't want them and they're not working. And now we're pushing all the 2023s off to 2024 models. Yeah, yeah. they're going to love that, right? Rivian's
1: going under. The dealership lots speak for themselves. They're filling up. The automakers are finally pushing back against the EPA and all the mandates and the EV. But they're up against Big headwinds. You have Nicholas Stern at the World Bank say we're not going to finance gas-powered cars at the automaker level. You have corporate banks now saying they're not going to give out car loans for people buying gas-powered cars. You have cities in Colorado, California, banning creation of new gas stations to create gas shortages. And you have the whole movement to end private car ownership coming from like the world economic forum and others. So there, And and none of this required an ounce of democracy. California, Gavin Newsom, executive order, unelected bureaucrats, California Air Resources Board set the timetable. 18 states have trigger laws. Biden, EPA, we never had a vote in Congress. The California legislator never even had a vote on banning gas-powered cars. But this is where we are. We're stuck at the moment with these EVs being produced with all the subsidies and mandates, filling up our lots. And now you're finding, you don't need the poll to tell. You just you know, the, the, the lack of sales of these EVs is what's telling us that no one wants them. I, I doubt
3: I doubt we have the story in our, our our show flow, but a, a related story is what happened in Wyoming with their electric buses. Idiot, idiots, Idiots in Wyoming. Of course they were I guess it was idiots with other people's money. It's easy to be an idiot when you're spending the federal government's money. So they bought eight electric buses for a, a city in Wyoming none of which are working, none of which are working. They're all broken. The company that built them has gone under. They can't get them repaired. Oh, there it is. Jackson, Wyoming, eight electric buses. I think they were some ungodly, something like 800,000 apiece or something. And the legislator for that area says, well, you know, we produce a lot of natural gas here. We probably should have gotten natural gas buses in the first place. Gosh, and think. we're hoping we can now come up with the funding to do that.
0: Yeah. So I want to bring back this this uh, little donation that we had here a little bit ago from rocks and oil. For those of you out there who would demand that we admit that we're getting money from big oil. There it is. Five dollars. There you go.
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. That could fund a few minutes of charging uh, the low powered Tesla charger, you know, <laughs> Yeah. All
0: right, so let's get on to our first topic. And that first topic is, of course, the decade long Mann versus Stein trial. You know, a decade ago, uh, Mark Stein and a few others made a quip. And the quip has been known to Penn State people for decades. So basically, and I won't repeat it here because we don't need a lawsuit because we've only got $5 from Big Oil to fund our, our lawsuit, you know. But um, it basically it was a state Penn versus Penn State. Quip anyway, so man, because his ego is larger than <laughs> most people's and he can barely fit through most doors, um, decided that he was going to sue because man and uh, a bunch of other people said this. Uh, Tim Ball said it, you know, and it was it was a jest, it was in fun. Well, Stein decided he's going to counter sue man, and Mark Stein is not a man to be reckoned with, uh, you know, simply because he's taken this all the way. A whole decade, man has been, you know, trying to defer things, not show up in court, making motions and counter motions and blah, blah, blah. You should see the court documents for this thing. It's like an encyclopedia. <laughs> there's, there's like literally a couple hundred documents associated with this, of, you know, filings, counter filings, all this stuff. It's, anyway, so Monday, man finally got called into court and he had to show his face which, of course, he doesn't like to do there, unless, of course, he's talking about climate change. Anyway,
1: Mark Moreno was there, and he... Well, tell us, Mark, what did you see? Well, I got to see the Nobel Prize-winning scientist, and now I heard today, Humanist of the Year, Michael Mann, in the flesh, in person. Uh, all right, that's a joke. He, You know, he, he, uh, the, the IPCC got the Nobel Peace Prize, not for science, but he, of course, theoretically shares that among the hundreds of authors, but... What happened was, this was as you mentioned, Anthony. Uh, the judge had finally had enough, and he ordered all the parties in the courtroom. And I guess they could have potentially dismissed the lawsuit. So Man was forced to show up. Mark Stein got there around nine fifteen. I went. This was in D.C. Superior Court, right, at, right down the road from D.C.'s Chinatown, not far from, um, not too far from the U.S. Capitol, actually. And what happened was, everyone kept asking, "Where's Man? Where's Man?" And I told even the clerk of the court said, is is the other president, is the party here at Michael Magam? No, he'll be here at 9.59. I was jokingly telling everyone 9.59 because I didn't think he would insult himself by being in our presence for any longer time than he had to be. And I kid you not, at 9.59, he and his entourage of four lawyers finally walked in the courtroom and literally surrounded by four lawyers. I tried to say hi to him twice. I said hi, Michael. It's Mark Morano, and he just looked right through me, ignored me, and I was like inches from him. And then I tried about an hour later; literally, would not say hi. Other people have told me they've tried, even with people with Mark Stein, and he just will not acknowledge anyone in the room other than the, uh, his four lawyers. And that's how that's how he goes around. It's kind of eerie. I mean, he'll go in the room. He's tunnel vision. He doesn't make eye contact. Uh, and I was even—they even had security going in the building—and I was just wondering. I almost wanted to hang out there to see. Like I can't imagine him subjecting himself to security. It's airport-style security at the courthouse. I picture he would have demanded some private back entrance. That's just the impression you get when you see Michael Mann in person.
0: Yeah, and like I said, his ego is so large, he can't fit through most doors. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, I, I, I bought him a drink one time. I, I was at the, uh, it was the 2016 AGU conference in San Francisco, oh, wow. and I was at the hotel there that he was staying at. I was staying at the same hotel. I see him sitting across the bar, right? And yeah. I thought, you know what? I'll do something nice. I'll buy him a drink. So I had the bartender give him a drink and he looked at it. The bartender told him where it was from. He looked at me, but I didn't really acknowledge me and just pushed it away. <laughs> well, I've, I've been, I've been in,
3: at a conference with him. I think it probably galls into this day that we're both published in the same peer reviewed issue of a journal uh, <laughs> that came out of a conference and uh, And uh, I got to question him very closely in front of other people. And so I I don't think he can sue me for anything I say. I'm not going to go into all of it, but he is one of the few scientists that actually answered the question, what would it take to convince you that climate change was not occurring for human causes and a disaster? And his answer was all of physics would have to be overturned. Uh, the, (laughs) The law of conservation of energy, the laws of entropy, everything that he ever knew about physics would have to be overturned for him to be wrong. Uh, great, you know, very modest man. Um, but, uh, you know, a little a little background on this lawsuit. It's not the only one. It should never yeah. have come to court. Honestly, the court should yeah. have dismissed this. We have something called the First Amendment. He is a very public figure. He can't pretend he's not a public figure. He makes himself a public figure. Yeah. And so for someone to quip uh, and him to go to court for slander over this quip, the court should have said, sorry, you're open to satire. The president of the United States can be satirized. So can you, Mr. Man. This doesn't get through the courthouse doors. It should have never have gone on for 10 years. He did the same thing in Canada. He lost. The court case has been lost. He was ordered to pay. Well, he's not a subject of Canada. They couldn't force him to pay. And unfortunately, the, the the gentleman, Tim Ball, who he was ordered to pay and pay court costs, um, He never got a dime before he died. And I suspect that his estate
0: will never see a dime because
3: Canadian courts, all he has to do is stay out of Canada.
0: Yeah, that's all he has to do. And I will point out that when Dr. Tim Ball died, his widow, Marty, didn't have the funds for a proper funeral. And so we launched a funding campaign on WWT and we took care of that for them.
3: And, you know, and man, and man is part of that reason because the court cost involved in, in fighting this case. And, um, he is a despicable human being.
0: Yeah, guess, well, let's, let's, we've got some tweets that talk about this. Sure. Uh, first of all, I'm apparently the humanist of the year. Wow, how about that? But you know what? This humanist of the year thinks that, well, maybe the Republican Party should be completely destroyed. Because, <laughs> yeah, let's just get rid of all those Republicans, you know? Um, and, and then he says, Yes, there's empirical peer-reviewed support for the conclusion that climate deniers in general are truly awful human beings. This all from the Humanist of the Year. Yay! <laughs> he, he, he really uh, reaches across
1: lines. and. Well, yeah. let me tell you, based on me, I sat there for about five hours during this hearing. And I can tell you one thing. Michael Mann appears to fear one person more than most, from what I could tell, and it's not other than Steve McIntyre, who used to do the blog Climate Audit, and who, who, along with Ross McKittrick, helped deconstruct and destroy the hockey stick. Because they spent many hours of that time in that preliminary hearing for this trial, arguing that Stephen McIntyre should not be allowed to testify against <laughs> Michael Mann. And they literally went off and they called him, uh, you know, the former mining executive. And the, the funniest thing they said is McIntyre wasn't in that community of climate scientists. In other words, he wasn't in the real climate.org cabal of people like Gavin Schmidt and others. So therefore, his opinion didn't really matter. They tried everything. And to this day, we don't know. The judge didn't actually decide whether McIntyre would be allowed. But based on what they're saying, I think man fears devastating testimony from Steve McIntyre. So that's one of the things you could tell from this uh, lawsuit. The other thing they want to do is include this national... Uh, um, Academy of Science assessment of his of his hockey stick graph from 2006. Now I was actually working in the U.S. Senate Environment and Public Works, so I was actually briefed in person by Gerald North, um, who led that commission on him. And what they did it's it's an old Washington trick. They actually said his hockey stick was unsupportable scientifically. But most of the report was talking in flowery language about how they respected Michael Mann, how they loved him, and how he was a great scientist and had great integrity. So the media declared at the time that the NAS 2006 report vindicated the hockey stick because Michael Mann, and that's basically what Penn State did as well when they investigated allegations of fraud after climate change. It wasn't an
0: investigation, Mark. It was a whitewash. Yeah. Yeah, hey, so- what was the bottom line? Are they going to let McIntyre testify?
1: Well, the judge didn't give his ruling yet, so they're, they're right now they're actually picking jurors. I believe it's at least six jurors. They're going to be DC residents. Couple key things here: Man has his entourage of lawyers. Now let's go back for a second because originally Michael Mann sued National Review, CEI. Uh, I believe Rand Simberg, who wrote an original column that compared him to Sandusky and all that, that the yeah. Penn State, and, and Mark Stein. Because what happened was Mark Stein wrote an article citing Rand Simberg that appeared in National Review and I guess also appeared in CEI. Over the years, National Review, CEI have had their charges dropped, dismissed for, for um, jurisdictional issues and other causes. Rand Simberg is also part of this lawyer. So he has his own lawyers. There's like two lawyers for him. And here's the best part, Anthony and and Jim and everyone. Mark Stein is acting as his own lawyer. And even Michael Stan's lead attorney said, I've never been in a case like this where the defendant is is his own lawyer. Mark Stein was phenomenal. And are you ready for the next one? It is very likely almost inevitable that Mark Stein will be able to cross-examine um, Michael Mann on the stand in D.C. Superior Court come early November. And we're going to have camera crews. A uh, fellow and his wife Ann, the film, the Irish film crew, they're going to come down with cameras. They're going to be covering all this. They're going to be, we're going to have Yay, court transcripts. Awesome. So it's going to be good stuff. Yeah. So you know, will, will we have cameras
0: in the courtroom or outside the courtroom?
1: I, I don't think you can, well, I think, I don't think any, there's no videotaping allowed. Now, the question is, I, I did notice some of the court proceedings had cameras. I don't know that it, defamation trial is gonna allow um, court ca- uh, cameras so I'm uh, not even allowed to record or anything so I don't think we'll actually have video inside the courtroom however you can have a lot of videos well, of interviews it, it after and we'll, we'll have the transcript I'm I, I believe they may even do uh, you know like a dramatization like they did with the FBI right. uh, thing on Trump so you could actually have actors playing Michael Mann and Mark Stein it'll this it should be really good Mark Stein is as sharp as attack and as gets to the heart of course he's the author of his own book the hockey stick delusion where he edited all these different scientists from around the world commenting on man's scientific methods so this really is the climate event of 2023 it's coming up to have mark stein uh cross-examining mark uh, michael mann is going to be the event of the year they
0: argued that that this is this has an international interest and it does and so maybe they will allow cameras in the courtroom because I can tell you, we would love to be able yeah. to see Mark Stein cross-examine Michael Mann. Yeah. This would oh, be
1: epic.
2: It, 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 hopefully, Mark hopefully Mark Stein just hits record on the phone in his pocket and then at least get the audio. But yeah, you know, then Michael Mann would sue him
1: for that, probably.
2: You know, he <laughs> would, he would. Let's let me just put a little bit more background on this because if, in fact if you go to YouTube and search and just put it in the search bar. Mark Stein, Michael Mann, you will come up with um, a version, hopefully Heartland's version of a keynote address that um, Mark yeah. Stein gave um, at um, one of our climate conferences. I believe it was 2015. It was in Washington, D.C. Um, I I had booked him for that. I so I've been a long time admirer of Mark Stein. I wanted him to connect. talk about the Mann case. Now, this was what, I don't know, four or five years ago, maybe six years ago when he, yeah. he gave an update on it. And I, I scheduled him in the morning because I knew he's such a good speaker and wake everybody up. So he went on at 9 a.m. and just uh, crushed. Uh, yeah, with, that's a great with, it's so funny. It's such a great address, and um, it's one of the highlights of all of our conferences that we've ever had with Heartland. But you know, but Mark Stein I think makes the point in that speech, and has made made this point a lot that of course uh, Michael Mann's lawsuit against him was frivolous. Him and, and National Review and Competitive Enterprise Institute and Rand Simberg. And the other guys, most of the other guys had settled. They were happy for the case to go away. Mark yeah. Stein was determined to stick with this case for as long as it took, basically doing jujitsu on Michael Mann by saying, you want me to settle? Hell with that, I'm not going to yeah. do it for the purpose of putting the hockey stick on trial in a yeah. public forum. And so he is putting, um, that's why this, this case is so important and, and, it's, and it'd be great if it yeah. was televised because Mark Stein intends and will do a great job of putting climate alarmism in general, but it's specifically that BS hockey stick on trial. And that's why right now he's fighting to get guys like Steve McIntyre, who took it apart. Um, what What is it now, 12 years ago? And Ross McKittrick oh, and others. Man. And the judges, through all these cases, have been very reluctant to allow um, Mark Stein's and obviously well-qualified scientific experts to knock down the hockey stick. Um, they just dismiss them. They say, nope, that's not a good enough expert. You're not allowed to bring them forward. So it's going to be a difficult challenge. And, and we'll see if you can actually yeah. bring actual well, scientists fine. to debunk the I, hockey stick on the stand. But at the very least, Mark Stein will be able to cross-examine Michael Mann. And just to see the look on that little weasel's face would be worth it. <laughs> <a test of laughs> well,
1: I will say they have Richard Lindzen, Judith Curry uh, are yep. scheduled to testify. Now, I will say this. I would not put anything past Michael Mann. He could claim health emergency, family emergency. He may demand to have the Mark Stein's questions in writing. emergency. He's going to try every trick in the book before he actually sits in that witness stand face to face. I don't So It could be a battle and you never know. A D.C. judge could let him get away with it. So that's why I say it's almost inevitable that Mark Stein will get the face to face cross examine. But we'll see. There's always kind of tricks you can pull.
3: There's always a chance that a DC judge could get him, let him get away with it. But I, you get the feeling from what happened in the past week that this particular DC judge is a little yes. bit tired of he man's, um, yeah, uh, man's uh, sort of "I'm a princess" uh, position. You know, he didn't want to show up in person. The judge says, "You will show up in person." Yes, he, right. he, he didn't give him I the option. You know, he says, "Oh, my guys will represent." No, no, no. Your guys don't represent you. You be here. It would be nice if this judge would say, of course, Canadian courts have no, their rulings have no uh, bearing necessarily, though our Supreme Court has let international uh, rulings have effect. But he could say, it'd be nice if he'd say, you know what, you've already been found uh, to be in the wrong once in a Canadian court and you have not obeyed their orders. You will obey our
1: orders. You're under our jurisdiction.
0: Uh, let's hope so.
1: And, and yeah, it'd be like, great if you asked him. Have you paid the estate of, of Tim Ball? If not, why not? Do you plan on doing it? Let the yeah. jury hear the character of this man. Do you, yeah. Do you, not, do you not?
3: Do you not? Do do you not believe courts have jurisdiction over you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't. I'm sure he doesn't.
3: <laughs> well, but, except, you know, you, except, thing, except he sues in court. He wants he wants them to, to to help him pay out, right?
1: Yeah. Exactly. Well, Mark Stein, one of his other strong points was. Well, I'll tell you two things, but he actually said a convicted criminal from Penn State presided over the exoneration of man, referring to the official at Penn State who actually presided over the Sandusky case and Michael Mann. And the the accusation, of course, is they whitewashed both. And the man who presided over it, the Penn State official, I believe got charged and may have even gone to jail for his role in the Sandusky thing. So what Mark Stein is pointing out is this was a corrupt university with a corrupt administrator who was protecting Michael Mann when this hockey stick controversy, particularly after Climategate. And the judge actually said, well, I don't know about child molestation. And, he, and Mark Stein interrupted the judge at this case at this hearing last week, earlier this week. And he said, excuse me, judge, this was not child molestation. And he got, this was child rape, multiple counts. This guy's convicted. We can't whitewash this. He actually corrected the judge. The judge backed down. Now, remember, this is wow. going to be about the jury. And I wanted to say one last thing about Mark Stein. Listening to Michael Mann's mealy mouth technical Just high class lawyers and the nice outfits and there's four of them and they're always conferring. It just looks like a little cabal. And then Mark Stein talks clear headed, direct, common man. I mean, I just think he could really resonate with a jury and make this uh, about what it is because I just don't see Michael Mann getting well served by his entourage of lawyers, high price lawyers. And at one point, he had the lawyers that defended, if I'm not mistaken, and I want to make sure I, I don't have it in front of me. But Joe Camel the cigarette. I, I think this was a law firm, or at one point, he had a law firm that was tied to defending big mm-hmm. tobacco, which I thought was tobacco a lawyers. Tobacco lawyers. And I, I have to look that one up. Anthony, do you remember that? I don't want to say anything and be sued here. Mark, you're, <laughs> yeah, you're,
2: you're already getting us sued. You're yeah. you're between the, between the two of us, we're screwed. Yeah,
0: <laughs> so, uh, I hear that Naomi Oreskes
1: is on the list for
0: people yes. to testify.
1: Naomi Oreskes is testifying. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, and wow. of she. And what's her
3: What's her expertise supposedly on uh, you the
1: hockey? I think she's a her, social scientist, isn't she? Yeah, other than her one debunk study on the you know ninety whatever the ninety four percent of all studies mm-hmm. that was the original one that got her that made her name in the climate world. She's, she's I an, an don't expert
0: know. on climate denialism, apparently.
1: Yeah, you know so. But I don't know. I'm very confident. I mean, I'm very hopeful that a jury will respond well to these messages because I just don't know how they're going to how they're going to take Michael Mann's lawyers and this entourage of lawyers. I, I, just I can don't. say
0: this. Mark Stein, as a broadcaster, is exceptionally engaging. I mean, just go back yes. and look at the 2015 video from the Heartland Conference yes. and the speech that he gave. He is exceptionally engaging. You know, he is going to be able to speak directly to that jury. And the, these other lawyers out there, you know, with their weasel words and their, their you know, motions and counter motions and all this other stuff, are not going to be able to speak to the jury directly. So I'm very hopeful as well that Stein is just simply going to eviscerate these guys.
1: And oh, the other thing that's funny is st- uh, man's lawyers just spend all this time with the judge. And we don't want this and we don't want that. And, and Mark Stein would just be like, what do you, whatever, let's just get on with the trial. He was just so cool. And just wanted, he didn't, he doesn't want to deal with all the procedural nonsense. And they're just, they're just falling all over themselves that I think it's going to be a message that does not resonate. I was going to mention, um, the, uh, what I think they also, they want to bring in the old Mir Russell report for the Michael man. And if you remember, that was sort of the global warming industry investigating itself. And the other thing was, um, there, there was one other point here, uh, 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 Michael Mann's lawyers at one point defending the hockey stick said, quote, this is about the truth, unquote. And we're we're confident that once we get the science presented to the jury, that they will realize that this is settled, you know, not settled science, but the truthful science. So they're really, this is about, this is the hockey stick on trial as well as Mann's ego.
0: Yeah. The thing is, though, is that the jury isn't going to be able to respond or assimilate a lot of these scientific points. But when Stein points out, and yeah. I hope he uses that famous Josh cartoon where, uh, you know, we took the the data for the tree rings and it was going down and then, oh, wait, we didn't want that. So we spliced on the temperature record. Yeah. And oh, look, it makes a nice new graph. Now, the, the jury will be able to understand yeah. that and they will be understand that that is manipulation of data and false yeah. presentation of a trend. So, I think it's really going to boil down to yeah. simple things that the jury can understand, not this highfalutin statistical science crap that man wants to put out.
3: those yeah. those Stein would be able to ask him, you know, on direct. well, why did you leave out the tree rings here? Why did you not count these trees, but you counted those trees? And why did you know, it's like uh, he, he even on the selection of the data that they used, he can he would be able to hammer them in front of a jury. Yes,
1: absolutely. Um, I would also recommend any of you who I, I think you guys should come down for a couple days of the trial. If you have a chance to come to DC, this is going to be historic. I mean, this is, uh, I, I mean, I've got, I think other uh, people I know, other meteorologists are coming in and they're going to come in for a day, come witness it. And the days that actually man is scheduled to testify is worth coming. And again, we'll have film crews. We're going to be filming. They're going to be filming for interviews in the hallway for reaction afterward. And, uh, and there's not many places Michael Mann will be able to, you know, you'll be able to interact with Mann if, if you know, at least see him because he can't, there's not going to be a private entrance for him that I'm sure he'd prefer.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it's going to be the climate trial of the century <laughs> where fantastic claims require fantastic evidence. So let's uh, let's move on to our next topic. Um, the hottest summer ever. Yes, indeedy. We have been, true. Uh, we've been, um, given information from NASA guests that the hottest uh, summer on record has occurred. Well, I want to point out something. Look at this graph here, or this this picture. This picture, notice Antarctica down at the bottom of the screen, right above the the temperature scale? Look how hot that is, right? But on the other side of Antarctica, it's cold. So what's going on here? Well... Uh, I'll get to that in a second, but first let's look at the, that the New York Times and their article on it. Now, this is written by Zeke Housefather. Now, Zeke Hausfather is a, a scientist, a climate scientist, and he is one of the developers of Berkeley Earth data set. And he says that we're learning something new from this data. And you can see that spike there for September. And he's talking about the hottest summer ever and so forth and so on. You know, well, one of the things he simply doesn't pay attention to is uh, as a topic called statistical outliers. But we'll get to that in a second. But the point is, is that he's making these claims in this NYT article that, you know, this is unprecedented. And one of the things he says right at the beginning, right at the beginning, staggering, unnerving, mind boggling, absolutely gobsmackingly bananas. These are not the kinds of terms that a scientist would use. These are the kinds of terms an advocate would use because he's pulling at heartstrings. And that's basically the gift of this article. Well, I dissected this article earlier this week on climate realism, and I started talking about things. And one of the things I want to show you is further down, we have uh, a comparison of the Antarctica stuff. Okay. Uh, You can see right here, first of all, a hottest September run record along with a hottest summer record. Well, look at that. It's a huge spike. You a 1.44 degrees centigrade or 2.59 Fahrenheit, you know? And they're getting all bent out of shape over this one data point. But it's an outlier and that's what they've missed. It, there's a statistical test you can use for outliers and actually there's an online thing to use it for that. And I ran it through it and it's an outlier, simple as that. Here's the same data from NASA GIS. Now you can see that Antarctica is deep red. And it's in that 10.4 degrees anomaly scale. Well, here's the most important point. A little further down on this graph, this, this, right there, that graph shows where the temperature is the highest. Now, look at this. The zonal mean versus latitude, the temperature versus latitude, shows that Antarctica is the place that has the greatest amount of hot data, so to speak. It's not really hot, though. That's the thing. This happened during the winter in the Southern Hemisphere. Antarctica did not get hot. It did not get boilingly hot red. It's just less cold than normal. So what happened is, is that Antarctica, because of a weather pattern change, became less cold than normal. It skewed the whole global temperature set upwards to make the idea that, oh, gosh, the whole global average is hot. It's not. It's just simply Antarctica being less cold than normal, and that's the preface of this whole thing. Yeah. And it, it it just goes to show you how climate science is so completely disconnected from reality. It was reality twenty. Is, it, it, it's
3: twenty degrees below freezing as opposed to thirty degrees below freezing. Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a heat wave. Uh, you know, I also I, I i wonder how good NASA's data was from 1950 or from the 1930s or from any, any other, Antarctica. oh wait, there was no NASA then, and they didn't have that data. Uh, the, the coverage was very, very sparse. And so to say hottest on record, hottest in history, no, it's, it's hottest in a very short time period and not hot, the l- least coolest in a very short time period for which we have data. And it's skewing the 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 world data as a whole.
0: Yeah, it's it's just amazing. But here's the great part about this. You know, we spent the first half of the show talking about Dr. Michael Mann. Well, in a rare, unprecedented, dare I say, tweet, Dr. Mann says. This is what I now get the rate for the recent period approximately 20% larger than that for prior period and the difference in trend is statistically insignificant. In other words, there's no statistical support here for the claim of a recent acceleration in the rate of global warming. This completely eviscerates Zeke father's NYT article. Just completely eviscerates it. The bottom line is... It's an outlier. It's insignificant. Ignore it. But the uh, the NYT and everybody else is running with hottest ever. Oh, no, we're going to roast.
3: <laughs> Michael Michael Mann is now off House ha- Hunter's ha- 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 Christmas card list. I
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Mann has been fighting with all the people. And he fights with everyone these days. If you look at his Twitter account, I mean, he just doesn't. He's fighting with other progressive activists. He just keeps fighting. I'm going to the U.N. summit in uh, Dubai, uh, United Arab Emirates, the first week of December. So the U.N. is going to be very excited to hype this temperature anomaly. They're going to and by then they'll be able to declare it the hottest year, I would assume, uh, by early December. We're using preliminary data and some computer models to cover the rest of December. So they're going to be using uh, they're going to be all over this uh, data. And of course, a hot Antarctica means only one thing to the U.N., 20 foot sea level rise, Florida underwater. So. Mm. Uh, Anthony, stay on this because we need as much scientific rebuttal as possible. They're going to really use this to push the net zero agenda.
3: So Mark, who do you think, uh, if if you could describe uh, a climate scientist as a porcupine, would it be be Michael Mann or James Hansen? Because they both uh, are pretty prickly.
1: You know, it's interesting. Uh, James Hansen, I don't know if he seems to have softened over the years. He's He's made a he's he came out against the Green New Deal uh, on TV, arguing with young Green New Deal activists. He's come out for nuclear. Uh, he has joined a lot of these kids lawsuits to fight it. But he's not as prickly as he once was. He sort of was more the grandstander, would give the big uh, big statement in uh, 1988 in the Senate, and then of course you know years later and always claiming censorship when he had the Rolodex of every major mainstream media reporter on, right on his desktop. Uh, but I would definitely give that thing to Man. I mean, there's no way James Hansen ever came close to where Michael Mann was. Hansen was a sort of true believer, ideologue, uh, and Mann is just a whole order of magnitude beyond anything Hansen could have. You know, yes, as bad as right. He had, an had arrested half a dozen times, but he was no Michael Mann.
0: So I want to say, uh, provide this reference story about um, Dr. Hansen. Uh, A lot of people don't know this, but it's true. You can look it up. There's documentation for it. Um, In June of 1988, this is when global warming first started, there was uh, a hearing being done in the Senate in in, uh, Washington, and uh, it was sponsored, this hearing was bringing in Dr. Mann and his first original computer predictions and his three model predictions, and so Dr. Dr. Hansen was going to present this in June. Senator Timothy Wirth, who was the sponsor, decided he's going to do some showcraft, some grandstanding. So what he did was he called up the Weather Bureau, that's what it was called back then, before it became the Weather Service, and wanted to know what is likely to be the hottest day over the next couple of weeks. Got that answer. And then the night before, Worth went into the Senate hearing room, opened the windows, and disabled the air conditioner. So that the very next day, When the hearing was happening, people were sweating bullets on camera. And, um, you know, and he described in a frontline interview later that the video watching all these people sweating over this global warming thing was bliss. That's how he described it. Now, I ask you, if your science is so strong, why do you have (laughs) to resort to this kind of bullshit? And and that's back when you
3: had to wear ties and suits. You couldn't come into the Senate in a sweatsuit.
1: <laughs> I willie yes, and Tim worth's interview he called it stagecraft or 60 minutes did but do you know after that got a lot of scrutiny he came later and then tried to disavow all of his comments saying you know that was just a story my staff told me I don't know if it was true they tried to back away from that because it made Hansen look bad and made it look like it was all feeder and not science so to this day now if you if you say what you said Anthony you'd probably be fact-checked because Timothy Wirth is now trying to back away from those comments.
0: Yes, that's in, that's true. And you know, it, that's this stagecraft, this this enhancement of things, to make yeah. it look worse <laughs> than that it actually enhance- is. Enhancement. It's a, a trademark of the whole climate science community. I mean, they are out making yeah. crazy predictions like sea ice is gonna be gone, you know? And all these other things that, that have not come true. In fact, if you go to whatsappwithat.com, we have a timeline of all these failed predictions that you can look at. And you know, and this is documented. The bottom line is, is that people like Hansen, people like Mann and any other folks in the whole uh, climate industry seem to be very much big on exaggeration.
3: You know, what's cl- yeah. going back to the thing that sparked this conversation, which was the claims of the hottest summer on record. We do have data from the 19 from 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 more than 100 years. And it clearly shows that the 1930s was the hottest uh, uh, decade. And um, in fact, if you look at the maximum temperatures set for the United States, I believe the 1930s alone set more maximum temperatures. And still to this day, you know, uh, nearly 100 years later, uh, 23 of the state's records were set or tied in the 1930s. Uh, As many records were set. From the 1890s to the 1910s has been has have been set or tied wow. since 2000. So a majority of the state's warm records were set before the 1950s.
1: And we had um, some of the, yeah, and we had some of the best coverage of data here in the United States. But here's the thing, Andrew Dessler, Texas A&M, the scientist actually has come out and said we need to get rid of the 1930s heat wave. He hates that chart. It's a Biden EPA chart now. And apparently they've even been monkeying around with the page. But if you look at uh, that, uh, the EPA, they will tell you heat waves are up dramatically. You're like, how is that possible? They'll show you a start date and chart from 1960. They erase anything pre and they go with 1960.
0: Just, just like man's but, hockey
1: stick. Yeah. And the 1930s, it's the heat wave index. And if you look at it, it's about, it looks like it's about eight to 10 times higher heat wave index than anything we've experienced recently. And that is an inconvenient chart. So I I don't know how long that's going to survive at the EPA. They did the same
0: thing with the medieval warm period. There's
1: a famous email
0: Mm. where they said, we have to get rid of the medieval warm period. Mm. So, you know, they're all about exaggeration. They're all about pushing inconvenient data aside. And that was one of the things that Steve McIntyre brought out in his dissection of the whole hockey stick. There was contrary data in man's study. And man buried it. He not only buried it, he hid it under other data. It's it just amazing the the level of, of uh, duplicity dishonesty that went on with this scientific <laughs> yeah. data. right.
2: Uh, you I you, have to, you have to listen to a show. you have to watch a show like this to get any kind of context on any of these this data and the media reports that you see out there. because as we explain as, as especially you Anthony've explained on this show quite often, you know, is it getting warmer? Yeah, probably. Um, is what's responsible for it. And as you often mention, uh, with your background, Anthony, there's something called the urban heat island effect. And where you're seeing warmer temperatures is generally at night because there's more dense um, you know, uh, density of, of people living and there's more urban areas. So the the uh where those weather stations are doesn't cool off in the in the evenings like it used to when it was farmland. Because that's common exactly. sense, and that but that's never taken into account. I've never seen that ever mentioned in any of these stories in the New York Times and Washington Post and other places. And then the other question is, is the emissions of carbon dioxide by humans responsible for all of this warming? Because that is the assumption that all of these uh, propagandists in the media are trying to sell you. And the evidence for that is is not strong. And so you can't say, I mean, there's many different ways you can look at the data, but it's not just because it's warming. First of all, so what? That doesn't mean that it's disaster, but it's also what is causing it. And, you know, the United Nations doesn't seem to think that much of the sun. They don't think that has much much effect on the, on the climate at all and things like that. So it's only here where you can get a more, much fuller conversation about what does cause climate change and yeah, how the, dangerous the use- or not
3: dangerous it may be. The UN is yeah. the only organization I can think of that says the things we know nothing about are the things we're confident have nothing to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. we, we don't know anything about clouds. We can't model them because that's all right. that matters is whether you can model it. Right. We can't model clouds. The, so we're confident they have nothing to do
0: with it. We're also <laughs> the only organization with a leader that comes out and says global boiling is happening. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah and,
3: they, don't, they don't know anything about ocean currents long-term ocean currents. So we can't model that. So they certainly have nothing to do with it. The
1: UN press secretary said they they own the science of global warming. And that's why they partnered with Google to skew the results. And that global boiling comment, Anthony, that was UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez, whose literally prior job, the UN Secretary General, was the president of Socialist International. So this is the guy that and the media will never identify that. But Joe Biden has quoted this global boiling as saying it was a top U.N. scientist who said it. It's like, no, it wasn't, Mr. President. It was a U.N. A former president, a socialist international who said he hyped that crap. But that's just, it actually does work among our ruling class elite. It's incredible. The other thing that works is people believe by buying an electric car, by banning a pizza oven, or by uh, by uh, cutting down on stopping meat eating, we're going to have less hurricanes. People actually believe that. And people like John Podesta will sell climate policies by saying, well, the weather's been so extreme, we have to do this. Like, huh? So eat, not eating a hamburger is going to make a hurricane miss Florida? Like, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a mess the way that the public has been manipulated in this belief system to make them believe that they can actually have an effect on global climate by the change in their, the way they do things. Meanwhile, China and India are going gangbusters yeah, emitting yeah. CO2, while the United States and the EU and the UK, well, we have to stop emitting carbon dioxide. We have to go to net zero. What a load of crap. Anyway. Let's, let's get on with our questions. We're, we're coming up on the end of the show here. Let's get our first question going and see what we have. First question from Bob Johnson says, temperature records, how good are they? Where are the instruments? Have they been impacted by environment nearby heat islands? Well, yes. If you go to um, uh, climateataglance.com. Uh, You'll be able to see a report on the Urban Heat Island, which also references my study that I did last year, and also in 2009, that talks about the fact that over 90% of the weather stations in the United States, and we looked at over 1,000 of them uh, over time, have been corrupted by the Urban Heat Island effect, and it's pretty simple like this. You know, here's the way to think about it. When we first started aviation, and aviation is where a lot of these uh, places are that are measuring temperature, uh, because they have to measure the temperature and the air, wind, all that stuff every hour. But back when Lindbergh took off and went across you know, the Atlantic, he took off from a grass field. And so that's what how aviation started. But the temperatures records, the weather information started back then as well on grass fields. Now, Chicago O'Hare Airport stands for ORD. That's on your luggage tag. ORD stands for Orchard Field. Not O'Hare. Orchard Field, what it originally was. Yes, there was grass and trees on either side of the, air, uh, the runway when they first started taking temperature there. But you look at O'Hare Airport today. It's this giant megaplex. One of the busiest airports in the world, you know, terminals and tarmac and air, jet exhaust, all this stuff. And do you think that does not have an effect on the temperature record? Huh. And
3: and and of course, Heartland is not the only ones that say this. If you look at Roy Spencer, and uh, John Christie have recently published on how the urban heat island effect skewed the summer. We were talking about summer temperature earlier well it's it's it skewed the summer temperatures all those things from phoenix where you heard records setting. Well, phoenix now is a very different place than phoenix was 50 30 50 100 years from now 100 years ago uh the urban heat island effect is not just uh if you're next to concrete you know it's it's it, the standards were you have to be X feet away. Well, it turns out you have to even be farther away than that to not have an urban heat island effect for these sites. At least 100 feet. At least That's That's feet. NASA's own – that's that's NOAA's and NASA's own statements.
0: So, yeah, but they don't even adhere to that. All right, next question. Where can I buy tickets for the November
1: quarantine? <laughs> Mark, are they selling tickets? They're not selling tickets. This is a public hearing. Anyone is welcome. A, it was a tiny courtroom that they had the preliminary hearing, and I'm not sure where they're going to have the actual trial with the jury, uh, but it's D.C. Superior Court. Anyone can go. It'll be a matter of public record. I'm sure Heartland will have the dates. You can go to Climate Depot. I'll post the dates, and we'll try to do as best as we can to guess when the day would come when Michael Mann is set to testify, uh, and that will be worth its weight. So Highly recommend it. And anyone in the DC area, come out and you know, we can pack the courtroom.
0: All right. Are they selling popcorn? Also
1: <laughs> actually, but, no, no, but, food, no food allowed in the courtroom. You can't buy food. You can get food and bring it back in. So you can buy- be, it. To it be, it to be clear, are. To be clear, uh,
3: unless you are protesting for Black Lives Matter or Palestinians, don't show up in protest in the courtroom because you That's will right. be prosecuted by the the yeah. uh, the Justice
0: Department. If you're if you're protesting for that, but not for these other things.
1: That's right.
0: <laughs> All righty. Next question. Montana Galt asks: Can one of today's hosts explain how tree rings indicate temperature? I'll take that one. Uh, it it boils down to a scientific principle known as Liebig's Law. Liebig's Law of the Minimum, and it boils down to this: for any plant, whether it be a tree or a, a you know a beanstalk or whatever, it has these different factors that affect its growth. First of all, how much sunlight does it get? How much water does it get? What is the temperature and what are the nutrients? These four things form the basis of plant growth. Now, if any one of these things is lacking, let's say water, the plant doesn't grow as much. Or if the temperature is too low, the plant doesn't grow too much. And so any of these things can affect the tree ring width in any given year based on the weather that year. The weather might have been warm and sunny and it rained a lot and we got a huge tree ring growth that year but on other years there might have been a drought you know and the tree ring didn't grow much at all or maybe one year you know some reindeer came by or some elk or something and and made a nice big deposit right next to the tree roots and got it it got extra fertilizer extra nutrients any of these things can affect tree ring growth but michael mann and his uh, his associate believe that tree rings only indicate temperature changes and that is just bogus wow
1: you're you're calling it bogus are you ready for a court date anthony sorry
0: All right, Gary R55 says, so they're saying the summer was hotter than during the entire Mesoic area. Well, yeah, in, in Zeke Housefather's uh, New York Times article, he talked about it being hotter than 2000 years ago and even hotter than that further back, but they don't, they don't have any thermometers back then. We have at best 150 years of good temperature records. And that is a, 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 a pinprick in the whole timeline of the entire world of the earth. We don't have good temperature data very far back.
3: Well, you know, when I first started doing this many years ago, now the the the, the statements were commonly made. It's it's the hottest temperatures in the last twenty thousand years, and then about a half a decade to a decade in, it's the hottest temperatures in the last ten thousand years, and then about a half decade later, hottest temperature in the last five thousand years. Now the UN is the hottest temperatures in the last two thousand years. So. We had hotter temperatures before when there was not a single factory or, but now it's the hottest temperatures in the last 2000 years. And we believe a majority of that. So half of the hottest temperatures since 1950 were caused by human actions. So so it's like, okay, well, like, so you're saying 25% of the warming of the last century about 25 percent, we can be pretty sure, is caused by human actions. OK, so that's 75 percent not. Um, it's not very convincing.
1: Yeah. No, the Smithsonian, through NOAA, National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration, has a chart of the last 500 million years in which they show 500 million years ago, 300 million years ago, 100. the temperature was not only much higher, but CO2 levels. We're much higher. And this is the official U.S. government chart, which I like to use that because then people can't accuse you of, you know, you got some evil climate denier chart. Now, that's going back a lot further than you were just saying, Sterling. But but it's just interesting that you could actually piece this story of climate together using official government sources to people who just have, are inclined not to believe anything other than what the U.N. claims.
3: Well, the same yeah. documents show that it was also much warmer, even in periods where CO2 was lower. Or as low as it is now. So it's like, well, hold it. I thought CO2 was the control knob. That's what you told me. That's right, yeah. Now,
0: CO2 can do anything. It can make it colder. It can make it warmer. It can make it drier. It can make it wetter. It's the universal boogeyman of climate change. All right, final question. Let's see what we've got. Final question. Albert Van Lingen writes, ice-free summers in Greenland, snow in USA will disappear. Will man be accountable for that? Well, actually, (laughs) other than his Twitter feed, he hasn't made any scientific declarations on those things that I know of, unless I'm wrong. Mark, maybe you know something I don't. But the point is, is that uh, he's made plenty of claims or or parroted such claims on his twitter feed you know from people that have been saying ice-free summers you know al gore for example uh and there's been a lot of people that claim these ice-free summers and it never happened in the arctic they never happened
1: yeah man isn't a big like he doesn't do the paul ehrlich doomsday prediction per se he's more about enforcing uh you know the science and it's bad and you have to listen to him uh but i will say that even people who do make ridiculous predictions like paul Ehrlich. He actually if you interview Paul Ehrlich today who's in his 90s which featured on 60 minutes earlier this year he will tell you that his predictions were all right he may have been off a little bit on the timeline and this is the guy who said that we would have resource scarcity famines england would be blue steam by now and there would be uh you know mass uh you know starvation on the planet they literally just do not believe, believe they'll ever be held accountable and they will always be right you know it's, at some point in the future it may happen so you can't say he's wrong
3: no, yeah, well, exactly. he, he's the leader of a of a doomsday cult, right? Yeah. The doomsday cults always say, "Well, we just get to the math wrong." <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah exactly. it's Dr. still coming. Doom. It's still coming. It's just a couple of years yeah. later than we thought.
0: Yeah. All righty. So part, there's the music. It's time to go. We've yeah. uh, we've exceeded our allotted time, and we don't want the internet the police to shut us down. <laughs> anyway uh thank you mark for joining us today and your insight uh thank you for sitting through five hours of what must have been <laughs> mind-numbing testimony we look forward to your uh, reports in the future uh right. thanks jim likely for coming on with us today and, and providing uh, color commentary Uh, And Sterling Burnett, thank you for your insightful and uh, data-driven analysis. So I want to say thank all of you and thank our viewers for joining us today. I'm Anthony Watts, Senior Fellow for Environment and Climate for the Heartland Institute, wishing you a great day and a fantastic weekend. Bye-bye.